Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I'm speaking with the delightful Marcella Kerberger. Marcella is the Executive VP and General Counsel and Corporate Secretary at Alanco, and she's had a cracking career, spending time at Novartis, at Roche, at Leica. There is so much to unpack in this interview. I absolutely love it. But here's a couple of themes that really stand out for me with Marcella. One, her advice and her journey, how she went to get into a position where she was comfortable to grow into her own skin as a leader. I love the way she described that. Um, working, away, working out what the formula was for her and basically releasing herself from the thought of having to actually replicate what she'd seen from other leaders that she'd reported to and just you know, finding her own formula. That was a marvellous discussion. Uh, something else that stands out for me is, you know, she talked about, look, the content side, you can always figure out. The hard bit is working out the relationships um, and how you can influence those around you and she's absolutely right you'll be able to tell from my discussion with Marcella why she's been the success that she has been because she's worked out what the formula is for her and you can see that she's still got much more ahead of her without further ado and in the usual fashion sit back chillax and enjoy the episode Marcella Kerberger, fantastic to see you again. We saw each other just a couple of months ago. It's great to have you on the show. Good morning, Jim. So excited to be here. Now, Marcella, you're currently the General Counsel EVP of Alanco, but you weren't always the EVP and General Counsel. You have a you have a story before that. Can you take us through the Marcella Kerberger story right from the beginning? Of course, Jim. So I was born in Argentina to an Italian family, um, studied law in Argentina when my parents decided to move to the U.S. in the late uh, the late 80s, actually, because of how unstable things in Argentina were. I stayed, finished my law degree there, and then I moved to the U.S. with them. I worked for my dad. Uh, which was not a great idea in hindsight <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> I should have gone straight back to law school, but I didn't. Um, had kids and then decided, worked as a paralegal, an environmental law paralegal for Lucent Technologies, which was a spin out of AT&T. And uh, I was working there with lawyers, and I've said it before, amazing experience until one of the lawyers that I worked for, you know, gave me a dress down after a client meeting and told me, Marcella, you cannot show the client that you know the case better than I do. And Ah. that same day, that same day, I went back home and I called Rutgers and I and I went to Rutgers and I signed up to go back to law school again. So that was in 1995, I think. What a great story that is. It's funny how we take inspiration and where we take inspiration from. 
And sometimes it's someone who you aspire to, you look up to, but then it's someone who just kind of puts you down. Oh, I was so, that day I was so, I remember vividly where I was. We were standing in the street after, you know, coming out of the client of the client's office. And she said to me, I know you're a lawyer in Argentina, but you need to know your place here. You're not a lawyer, you're a paralegal. And uh, yeah, that was like, that was it. And I thank her for that. I do. It's, it's funny. I love those stories because at the time we're mortified. Um, we wish what happened to us never happened. But in the long term, we are so grateful for those defining moments. The, the moments that seem really hard, really pierce the heart or just, you know, pierce the ego. And you ask yourself some really tough questions, but then in the long term, you look back and you're grateful for it. And that's why I love these stories because I, it's, it's one of the things I try to talk about, especially when I'm trying to mentor. And even with my own adult children, um, when they come across something really difficult or something that they think is a terrible uh, indictment on them, on their ability, um, or a failure, I just say let time, let time work out whether or not this is something which is bad or good because in the long term, everything that's hard, um, everything that gets you questioning yourself um, at a crossroad but it ends up being part of your journey and directing you, you know, to achieve more, to achieve better. So I, I love that. I'm so glad you shared that story. That's fantastic. I have a few of those catalyst moments in my career, so I'm, yeah. I'm happy you find them interesting. But that one certainly changed the course of my career because I was I was comfortable where I was. I knew what I was doing and I liked the people that I worked with. So I don't know that I would have had this rush to go back to law school had this not happened to me. And so I went to law school at night where I was working in Lucent during the day. I had two little kids, graduated from Rutgers Law School in 2001, clerked for the appellate division in New Jersey. Great experience there. And then I went to Lowenstein Sandler, which is a large firm in New Jersey, to be a securities litigator. And I did, I, I did securities litigation for a few years there. And as I drove by Novartis every single day to go to school or to go to work, I would say to myself, one day I'll work there. And uh, lo and behold, that's... That's what happened. I, I made the switch in-house. And, and why? Why, why as you were driving back and forth past Novartis, why were you thinking one day I'm going to work there? You asked me before why the law. I really never, I'm one of those really boring cases where I never wanted to be anything else. And I, I come from a family of engineers and, you know, nobody went to law school. But I always thought that lawyers had a, always a rare opportunity to influence the outcome of something the outcome of a crisis or a difficulty or, or a disagreement. And I always thought that lawyers had that great ability to bring people to the table and, you know, just mm. come to consensus and, and influence yep. outcomes. Yep. And I love that. And so that's why I did. That's why I went to law school. And then I wanted to go to Novartis because, first of all, I always thought, you know, saw myself as somebody who um, needed to have a, a connection to a business in terms of, you know, there has to be an impact. You know, this law thing needs to have an impact on a patient, a consumer, a customer, something that I could relate back to and that I can influence the whole process. And a lot of people say this, they go, they go in house because at the law firm, right, you're given assignments, you're giving, it's like a hopscotch of clients, assignments, issues. You're invested emotionally for a moment in time 
and then you're out of the picture. And so that's not very satisfying to me. And so that's why, and people, and I worked with a partner there who told me her husband, who's still there, was a lawyer at Novartis Pharmaceuticals. And she said, I know you, Marcella, and I know um, that because of your profile and how you like to just move things, shape things, Novartis does that. Novartis allows lawyers to learn from soup to nuts. You are moved around if you are somebody who is curious and wants to learn and is on a trajectory. And I think you will enjoy that much more. And 11 years later, for sure, I, I did. I was going to say you had 11 years there. What are some of the, what are the things that stay with you or stand out from your career at Novartis? What do you think makes the most significant impact? So one, I found my voice as a lawyer and as a leader there um, because I worked for so many amazing leaders uh, who were so different. The GCs that I worked for there, and you know many of them, David Tolman, Tom Kendra, Shannon Klinger, incredibly different styles, but so effective, each in their own very different style. And so I was like a kid in a candy store, right? Picking from one and the other and just sort of like, adjusting to my own style as I developed my own style. And they also, if you were someone, like I said before, who, if you were ambitious, and this is a good ambitious, right? And people should not be ashamed of use the, you know, use the word ambitious. Yep. If you wanted to make progress, if you want to um, help others shape outcomes, then they would, you know, they would just send you to different divisions. Oh. It was a big conglomerate of companies back then. You, I started with a Gerber products company. I had LATAM and I was a head of litigation and commercial. I moved to Novartis Consumer Health, uh, where I did over the counter that division. So Gerber was sold to Nestle. Consumer Health was sold to GSK. I was there the head of Russia, India, China, and m and I had never done, right? I mean, those are things that I learned at Novartis and they gave you those opportunities. And then I went to pharma and I just did everything there until I reached the point where my boss told me, if you want to go up, you have to leave the US. What a fantastic experience. And to me, that is what leadership is all about. Identifying and creating career paths for your team and opportunities for growth. Um, and so some of us are really fortunate. We stumble into that and we stumble into great leaders that provide those opportunities, the white space that I talk about that you can grow into, the belief in you more than you might believe in yourself. It's just so empowering. It's amazing. And I, you know, I was never afraid of taking lateral jobs because my my true desire was to learn, learn more, understand the business. What is pharma? Yeah. What is consumer health? How does this all happen? How do we sell products? What's the impact? We know how our clinical trials run. Um, how do we how do we sell right and um, and I was given those opportunities and I I was never for me I knew that my career was not going to be linear I knew that I wanted to zigzag and in order to get where I wanted to get I needed to get more exposure Marcel that attribute of genuine curiosity and wanting to learn um, it's funny when I think about my career I, I think earlier on it was too much about advancement and rather than necessarily, how can I be better? How can I learn? How can I be curious? But it is the one thing I now look for. Well, I look for lots of things, but certainly it's the one thing I look for when putting a team together, when hiring, that genuine, I want to learn, I want to grow. 
to in, do, do you think that's important? And, and if so, do you try to look for that or instill that in in your team members? Because I just think it is the the appetite and desire to learn is such a powerful motivator. And I think I, you, you see it in most successful people's genuine curiosity, genuine um, desire to learn. Talk about that. It, 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 do you agree? I do. I think, and I think that shows immediately when you're in house to the business. If you truly have a genuine concern yep. and thirst to learn the business, uh, it. I remember, you remember Felix era at, at Novartis when I what he yes. said to me. Um, when I started at this company, um, and he was beloved at Novartis, and so he said, I, I went, I did a, uh, a tour of the countries, and I met with the GMs, and the one question that sets my tenure here and my relationship with, with my clients, with my business partners, was, it's a simple, how can I help? How, how, does, yeah. how does this work here? What are your challenges? Yeah. You know, because that's yeah. at the end we are right as lawyers. We we are here to enable, advance, to maximize, and to um, you know to add value. And yeah. you cannot do that if you don't understand, if you don't learn. You can't do that. You cannot be yeah. as effective, even if you think you're so smart as a lawyer. You've done it all before. Talking about those catalyst moments when I yeah. made in my mind the switch from individual contributor. And a yep. very, de- very determined and intense individual contributor to actually having a team mindset. And um, and that was, you know, I was, you know, one track mind learning and making sure that I was a trusted business partner. But I also wanted to be a team leader. Right. And so I remember going to my then GC at Novartis at Pharma and, you know, Tom and just telling him, you know, I had a big job, was the, the BU lead. Um, the franchise lawyers were in the BU, but they're not reporting to me. And so I uh, I reported to the head of the BU, and I remember telling Tom, Tom, if you don't change the reporting lines, I'll never be able to make an impact. And they won't, you know, they won't listen to me. I mean, it's super yeah. immature, yeah. sort of like, you know, yeah. I need that reporting line in order to, oh my gosh. And he told me, he, he chuckled and he said, Marcella, you true leaders influence without authority. You, I will not change oh. the reporting lines. And you will have to figure out how to establish relationships in a way that you influence and that they want to come to you and that you help them. That is excellent. True leaders yeah, don't need authority. Um, they need influence. Influence. And so that's, um, and so it, and I, you know, there's one thing about me that as intense as I am and, and focused as I am, I take feedback to heart always. I know that feedback is a gift. And if somebody yeah. as smart as, you know, Tom or all of my other GCs tells me something, I that's the nugget of wisdom that I need to implement because I, I'll get better. And I yep. did. And I yep. started building relationships, really building relationships, helping people, collaborating, bringing them once a week to the table to see how I could help them and having them communicate and share best practices and lessons learned, all of the franchise lawyers, right, that were... At that um, at that point in pharma and, and you know after two years it was I got my first big leadership opportunity and and I I, I left the U.S. and I went to Germany to Sandoz to become the global CCL of, uh, of yep. Sandoz and that was a global team of 140 people so it was a great experience. Let's talk about that experience. So what again? What are the key takeaways? So you've moved, presumably you moved with your family. You've gone to Germany. You're heading up Sandoz. Tell us about that. What stands out to you about that experience and the learnings in that part of your career? 
So they say that when you get promoted, your best traits get intensified and your worst traits get intensified, right? I'm, I don't remember who said it, but I was told that, Marcella, remember when you, and, and it's true because, you know, my thirst to learn and my curiosity, I mean, that all went into high gear. I didn't know what Sandoz, Sandoz is very different. It's a generics business. It's very different than pharma, branded pharma, you know, so the, how to learn the business, you know, how to meet people. But then, of course, my worst, I would say, the, my, you know, focus and sort of like, okay, I need to do this. This is, I know how to do it. So like that also went into, and I remember um, talking to a couple of the regional heads, the business heads who told me, this is another one of my catalyst moments, right? They said, Marcella, you, you know, you, you drive and you're effective at what you do, but in compliance, it's very different than legal. If you don't conquer the hearts and minds of people, if you don't establish an emotional connection, you are not going to make any traction. You're not going to have any traction and you're not going to be successful. This is not, compliance is not legal. And oh my gosh, were they right, right? I mean, and I, with that, I had to deconstruct how, you know, I had been a lawyer and how I worked as a lawyer to truly become an effective compliance partner shaping the culture shaping the mindset you know from the ground up right you have I had to go to the countries meet the sales force and get my people into changing also that mindset from you know the the post office mindset that compliance was right check the box you know paper program to truly a you know a live interactive you know cultural change where people understand the why behind the principles, the policies, right? Why do we behave the way that we behave? Why is it important to the company? And so that was also, you know, an amazing experience and very challenging in the beginning because it's very different than being a lawyer. As the lawyer, you're seen as a technical expert, right? You know the law. If the lawyer says yes or no, this is the risk, there's a lot of deference. As a compliance person, when you, it's it's all about values. It's all about, you know, what, what's important to me versus what's important to somebody else, how we were raised and principles. And so it's so, so much more mushy that you really have to kick up your influencing and persuading skills, right? And make that emotional connection with, with your partner. So winning the hearts and minds of those around you and galvanizing them, what are the strategies? What do you have to, what have you done to get better? at winning of the, heart, the hearts and minds of those that, that you're looking to influence and you're looking to, you know, whether they're part of your team or outside of your team, what are your strategies, Marcella? Yeah, and, you know, the recipe, it, it's so it's so obvious, but not a lot of people, you know, and you really, and I was told directly by one, you know, his name was Peter Goldschmidt. Um, he was a U.S. head at that point, and he told me, you need to go to the countries and spend time in the countries, understand the business. What are the challenges, right? Are they a prescription business? Are they a, a tender business? Are they a, a payer business? Are they a consumer, you know, over the counter? What are the challenges? How can you help? How can your team help? Where's your team? Where's your team meeting them at, right? Are they sitting at their desk checking boxes saying yes or no? Or are they going on field rights? Are they going to the pharmacy? Are they meeting the doctor? Are they going to, right, to the clinic? And that's... You know, it took time and uh, I partnered a lot with talent management. HR has been my best partner in all of my last jobs. 
because they have they have tried and true tools and resources on how to change the mindset and how to make actual transformational change. So it was a two-year process, you know, and, and, and we it was a huge turnaround. You know, we were failing audits before I got there. You know, by the time I left, and it took me three years, but, you know, we had turned around the audit uh, track record, and we also, which was very meaningful to me at that time, Sandus was the number one of artists division in terms of country head satisfaction with the compliance team. So this is out of, out of pharma, out of consumer health, out of, you know, it was Sandus, right? So the GMs were really happy with how we had turned around compliance in the countries, and so... Again, you know, it takes time and effort and a lot of relationship building with people. Something that I learned from one of my GCs, right? You need to explain the why constantly. Just articulate the why. Why are we doing this? Why is this important? And, and there's never such a thing as over-communicating the why. Oh well, gosh. there's never, never such a thing as over-communication. Um, but, but certainly in relation to the why, so that people understand why they're there, why they're doing what they're doing, and how it's making an impact. Um, was the next phase in your career, was that Roche? Have I got that right? At that point, it was 2017, I think, and um, I got offered a global GC job at a company called Leica, uh, like Leica Cameras. I, uh, yep. That's a very, they're very famous in Europe and in Asia. Um, they are actually a medical device, global medical device company, and they make industrial micro microscopes, uh, medical device microscopes. And so I moved to Leica. It's part of the Danaher group. Um, uh, I took a global GC, CCO role out of Wetzlar in Germany. So we moved to Frankfurt. And, yep. Uh, yep. and I was there for two years. Amazing opportunity. That That's one of those moments. Um, you know, and I should have done that earlier. I should have known that I was ready to move out. Right. Move out. I, and, I, and I didn't. I let some... You know, I had some fears and hesitations. You know, I had worked for some great GCs, and I'm like, how do I compare, right? Yeah. How am I going to be as effective as X, Y, and Z? And so uh, that held me back a little bit. But by 2017, I was ready, and I, I took this role. And at Danaher, completely different culture than what I had experienced at Novartis. They're extremely, if, if anybody knows Danaher, they have the Danaher Business System, which is a Harvard review um, you know, teaching case study, sort of a case okay. study. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where they uh, they follow Kaizen, right? This is a Japanese Kaizen yep. method, and everything has KPIs attached to it that are meaningful to show progress in your in your goals and targets. And and those same tools, the Danaher business system can be was applied to legal. And at the beginning, yep. I thought it was. It was crazy. It's form yeah. over substance. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Oh my gosh, am I a convert? And I, the the impact that you make, the why. Talk about you know understanding the why, right? When you see it in black and white on a board, right? I, this is why we need to do this. This is the deliverable. This is a milestone, and this is at you know what's at the end of the of, of the journey. And you make progress. You see progress. Um, it's about. If things get stuck, it's about the problem, not the person. So everything's yep. very objective. And I and I brought that to Roche after Danaher, and I brought that to Elanco. I was going to ask. I was going to ask whether you you whether whether you put that into your toolkit and brought that along with you in your in your subsequent roles. And it sounds like you have. It changed me. And so if we switch to my one of my beloved, most beloved topics, legal operations. Uh, 
I started at Novartis understanding, right, the, the opportunity with legal operations. Novartis, like I said, it was a big conglomerate. Every company was doing e-discovery differently, contract yep. management differently, self-service tools, spend management, the preferred law firm yep. program. And so I quickly developed an, developed an interest in that. And with help and support for a couple of my GCs, I was sort of like tagged as a person, okay, you're going to be the head of the preferred law firm panel for all of Novartis. You are going to develop, and you know, I had a team, it was great, an e-discovery international forum for Novartis to make sure that we start doing things in a more streamlined, consistent way. We don't take undue yep. risks and, and we can borrow. We don't have to reinvent. And so I took that to Danaher. At Danaher, it, was, it went to a completely different level because at Danaher, you are expected to track and to measure and you're expected to streamline and have lean teams it's about it's about yep. lean yep. right and so um you know the self-service contracts the contract management uh tool right we put in place we really started building based on the clock competencies back in you know 2017 a true international uh legal operations team um and then when i came to roche in the us i, I started from scratch again i you know funded a whole my CEO believed in it. We explained to you know to the G the global GC at Roche why yep. it made sense, explained all of the you know clock pillars competencies and I was able to to do that there as well. And we've seen of course an incredible momentum over the last few years just around the, the legal operation space and the um, the, the developing maturity um, of that space. Is there anything in particular that excites you about the future? I suppose, break it down to the future of legal operations and more broadly, the future of the legal industry. Legal ops has allowed me and others to show, to truly show to the business the value of yep. legal in terms that the business can understand. You know, it's not yep. blah, blah. It's not in, you know, 15 pages of PowerPoint, you know, written in, in narrative. It really, you know, the KPIs for legal department yep. are these. These are the, you know, this is the progress we're making. So legal ops is critical for me and my teams to show to show the value that we add. And in all of it, it's not, it's not just spend management, but it's, you know, time to contract. It's use of resources. There yep. are many areas that we can show the business, with, you know, patent management, right? Uh, trademark management. And then for the future of legal ops, you know, as I talk to my team and I have a brand new global legal ops team Fantastic. here, I think, you, yep. know, you know, my head of legal ops, it's how, right, I mean, how, how much closer can legal, legal ops enable legal to get into, yep. into the business? Yep. Um, and, that, and that's something that I'm, that I'm trying to think through. How do we get closer with legal ops? And, uh, you know, we are pretty close with procurement, with finance, uh, with regulatory, how do we get closer to the commercial teams with legal ops? And so, um, and of course, all of the yep. technology piece, right? I, uh, how else can we use technology to do what we do faster in a more streamlined way? I think that's what a, a number of legal teams are asking themselves. And I think part of the answer is what we've talked about already is being able to show the value and show the, and win the hearts and minds through developing relationships, explaining the why, and perhaps a little bit of laying out what the future looks like too. Because we, there are certainly, if you think about the overall maturity of the market, there are certainly some players that are leading the pack and being able to, I think, show a bit about what the future looks like and what reporting looks like and what are the insights 
that our peers are able to now uh, deliver back to the business because of the discipline and the focus and energy they put around the legal operations team and the function as a whole. You know, I also, I have ESG, enterprise risk management and government affairs and my challenge to the legal ops team, okay, those groups are part of Correct. us. We are yep. legal compliance and government. How can legal operations help them? What they do, the value that they add. I truly believe that legal ops has yep. the key yep. to help them in many areas. So tell us a little bit about Alanco. I think you've been there for about 12 months. Tell, tell, tell us a little bit about the role there, the company. Um, and then I'm going to ask you about some of the early challenges for the, for, for, for the first 12 months. Of course. Um, yeah, June, June of 2021, I, I made the difficult decision, difficult because Roche is a great company, uh, to leave Roche for, uh, this is my first public company yeah. GC role. And so, you know, just great opportunity, also a global footprint, which is what I enjoy working with people from different cultures. Alanco is truly a global company. We have 20 manufacturing sites all over the world. And we acquired Bayer Animal Health, who was also yep. truly a global company, a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. And so we do have our legal teams, people in New Zealand, Australia, China, Europe, uh, South America. And it's, it's, um, it's just one of the things that makes me, you know, uh, find so much joy in my work, with, you know, yep. working with different people. In different in different regions and getting things done in different cultures right it's a different way to persuade yeah. and influence yeah. absolutely so elanco it's also interesting because up until i started watching uh, preparing for the interview here and watching videos of the ceo online to try to <laughs> get to know him i never really understood or i never really realized that healthy animals are at the center of a healthier yeah. planet food access to food and then people yep. companionship right because that's yep. what you have right i mean we take yep. care of cattle you know from sheep and cows to yep. salmon and then on the pet side everything dogs and cats and and then we you know we leave a footprint as well on the environment and and via our products when we have products and this is a big thing for lanco that helps sustainability help uh reduce methane reduction greenhouse emissions this has a huge impact on the environment, and Alanco is a leader in the sustainability area for animal health. So it's a, it's a, my boss also you know is a huge visionary. It's a, has a very intense vision of what the future will look like in the animal health industry, and I can I can relate to that. So, presumably you weren't in the industry before. You've started a new role. It's a public company. What are the first in the first few months, what are you doing, Marcella, to get your arms around the business and the key issues to identify what the top three priorities are going to be for you in the first 12 months? What are the strategies that you adopted to get your arms around that and identify those priorities? So as you go through different jobs, especially when you are right in more senior roles, I've learned... I know what I know, and I know that those areas, um, you know, I can I can delegate more and I can empower my people. So, commercial transactions, M and A, litigation, investigations, right? I've I've done all of that several times, and so you know, number one, it was putting together a great team around yep. me that I can that I can trust and that I can empower to just go get it done. Second, develop a vision with this team, which is what we what we did in the last few months once the team was yep. fully in place. 
I know, you know, so I had my column of these are the things that I know and I know I can do. So I cannot focus so much on them because there are things yep. on the right side that I don't know and I need to really learn. So one was, of course, the animal health business. And it reminds me a lot of the Sandoz business because they have prescription, a, a big prescription business, right? So it's a pharma business and they market to vets, to prescribers. They, they sell online to Chewy and to Amazon, right? So they have a big online presence. Um, they do tenders, um, they have generics and branded, so very similar to Sandoz. And so learning that, understanding the key animal health issues in the industry uh, and how to be, how to shape, help shape that. And two, it's all the corporate governance and all the yeah. public, you know, public, uh, public company piece and the management of the board. So I spent a lot of time learning how do I, as a GC of a public company, how do I add value? Where, where are the areas where I need to really focus, learn, and you know, spend a lot of time there, learning the board, establishing relationships with the board. So business and 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 you know, public public company governance were two areas that I spent a lot of time on. Uh, Marcella, it doesn't sound like you're afraid of a challenge. Uh, I have to say, kudos to you. I'm not afraid of that. I, you know, I'm not afraid of challenges. I, I, like I said to you before, when I was younger, I, I always compared myself to my bosses because they were so great. And I'm like, I'll never be yep. able to do what they yep. do. But yep. then you understand you come into your own and, yep. and you grow into your own skin and you say, oh, heck, I yep. have more success when I'm being myself than when I try to be somebody else. Or, and so once I understood that there's a formula to me that I that I can only exploit, that it makes me who I am, and 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 then doors started opening up for me, and because I guess I took away the limits that I was putting on myself, and I know I'm sounding a lot like Tony Robbins right now, but that's sort of like absolutely not. I think that is a, there's some real nuggets there, and it's really liberating, Marcel. Once you work out that yours is your own personal formula. And it's bits and pieces of those that have been around you for years, but then it comes together to make a new, basically a new finished product. And it's your, and owning that and being, abs- you called it growing into your skin. I love that. I'm, that's going to be the caption of, of this episode. I just absolutely love that. And being comfortable to do that and how empowering that must be. It's amazing. And I know right now that, this is what I know. I know that the content, any new job, any new channel, the content is always figure outable. You yep. got those, right? Yep. The content, yep. you yep. done so much. The most challenging and the most rewarding piece is figuring out the human relationships. It's yeah. figuring out how to have impact on people, how to move people, how to motivate people, how to inspire people. Because without that, you cannot be an effective leader, no matter how much command of the content you have whereas the the other way you can have if you've got the incredibly effective um, uh, ability to basically influence people on relationships and less effective on the content uh, it it is still more powerful Um, you can actually the content bit can catch up or you can actually surround yourself with people that can help on the content and that's what great leadership is about the greatest leaders don't necessarily know all of the content back up, but, but do they know how to win the hearts and minds? They absolutely do. That's right, Jim. Yeah. Fantastic. Marcel, talk a little bit about your board member at Bio Crossroads. Can you talk a little bit about that? That was an exciting opportunity for me to, um, 
I, along with several other uh, directors, and these are all senior executives of Indiana's biggest companies. Um, you have Eli Lilly, Cook Medical, Roche, yep. IU, Purdue, and this is all life sciences centered, right? I mean, we get together to to find ways and funding to advance life sciences education programs at the universities, right? I mean, have, this is yep. where we source our best talent. You know, in Indiana, and believe it or not, Indiana is the second largest state in number of life sciences imports in the country, exports, exports in the country. So, um, so there's a there's a big brain trust here of um, life sciences experience, and so and and, and so fun, and funding um, startups, biotech startups. That's what BioCrossroads does, and so we have you know we're we're funded in large part by the Lilly Endowment. So it's it's a great experience. You truly see the impact that it has in the local community as well um, in terms of job creation, technology startups. You see it. It's very tangible. It must be incredibly rewarding too um, because the closer you are to that impact, um, then certainly at a personal level, the much more rewarding that it is. It really is. And, and yeah. of course, the fact that we all come from different uh, perspectives and companies and uh, you know walks of life, it just... It is very rich in, um, you know, mindset and perspectives yep. and knowledge. So it's fantastic, yeah. Marcella. I'm going to wrap up with some of my favourite questions. Um, what's the hardest thing you've ever done, personal or professional, that you're happy to share with us? Um, I think personal was my move to Germany. I had to leave, you know, my two older kids were in college or out of college. And so I had my, we moved with my third one, Alexander, who was seven or eight at the time. And, you know, I come from a Latin family, of course. Uh, Family is everything. Everything, yep. Um, And so that move, you know, in, in my head, I, you know, I said, it'll be a great opportunity for the older kids to come and explore Europe. And it was, it really was. As a family, I think everybody changed with that move, but uh, me, I had that, you know, I had that Latin Catholic guilt. Uh. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's funny, having had a personal experience similar where I moved the family to, um, that was the Middle East at the time. The one thing I did find, and I look back that as one of the best experiences, but one of the hardest decisions, and, and certainly the early part, very hard too, but what I really found about that because, well, family's also very important, but what it ended up doing is bringing the, my immediate family, wife and children, actually much closer together. We had this joint experience, and it was a joint um, uh, effort on survival, um, integration, all of that, and, and my kids were between, I think, 6 and 12 at the time, and we had four or five years there. And they all look back at it with such fantastic memories. It was hard, but we actually, the family actually got closer together. We bonded here. We had to rely on each other. We didn't have the luxury of the extended family there, but um, I would not give up that experience for anything. It's something I actually, I, I encourage others, especially when their family's a little bit younger and the kids are a bit more mobile. It's such a gift. You give the, the your family. It's a big gift, right? I mean, it's uh, and I think, like I said, it, it really changed my kids. It's two older ones and Alexander. Uh, it's a they have a completely different perspective after having spent so many years back and forth. Anything that you spent too much time worrying about in the past, which on reflection is not time well spent. I mentioned that you can tell already, right? So trying to adjust my style. To what I thought 
my style, you know, my style should be. And that that made me less effective. And that that made me also fearful, right? I mean, I, comparison is the thief of joy. And so, and it was, you know, again, I compare, I'm very hard on myself. And so I, you know, I thought I, I work with great people. I'll never be like them. Therefore, I'm going to be less effective. It's actually the opposite, like I said, right? I yeah. had the opposite experience. On a professional front, the, what is the most difficult experience that I've had? I guess it's the beginning of my journey in Germany at Sandoz, uh, having taken the compliance role. I went from one GC in the U.S. to a different GC at Sandoz, and you know them, completely different styles and completely different ways of communicating, but gosh, did I, did I grow. Those first few months were so painful, but so, I grew so much, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity, the feedback that I got as to how to get more effective, how to do better at my job, how to be better. You know, I got a lot of feedback from my team as well. And my team was international and outside of the US people are have no problem giving feedback and being very direct. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, you have I work with, you know, yes, pe- people from Germany, right, Netherlands, Russians. Um it's it's all very okay. This is what it is, right? It's, yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's funny. I've never understood the German people to be very direct. That's interesting. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say I have a, that. That was that's my experience there. You yeah. know. And and certainly, you know, you talk about being uncomfortable and discomfort. That's where the growth is, that's because right. when you're comfortable, you're not pushing yourself. You're not learning, growing into that white space. So I always say, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Be open and. Better things will, you know, if you're open to learning, it will get better. If you're open to taking things on board and not being self-reflective, right? It's it's the ego that gets in the way on, on, on accepting feedback, but we can all get better. Anything that keeps you up at night now, Marcella? It's, it's always my team. It's not, it's really my team. It's not, it's not the job itself. It's not, it's how do I, how do I continue to give opportunities to yep. people? You know, and, and again, people who have who have different upbringings and, and ideas and what their career progression should be and how do I keep them engaged in this market? How do I prevent people, not prevent people from leaving, but actually how do I retain talent, right? How do I have those stay conversations? Why should you stay here with us, with me? So that's, it's the team. Yeah, it's, it's creating the opportunities that you and we've been fortunate having. How do you actually recreate that for the others so that they actually that they, they achieve the kind of career that you have achieved, Marcella? That is, and that's with all talent. I absolutely agree with that. What are you looking forward to? I look forward to, in, in this role right now, I look forward to, um, to, 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 to finish building the strong foundations that we started building in the last year, both in terms of the fundamental pillars of a well-run legal department, efficient, streamlined, agile, fast. So that's all on the legal ops and on my you know, key processes side. And then you know, giving that stability to people where people start, start flourishing here. In their, in their careers and people start moving around, which would be my dream, right? That people don't just look for a promotion on paper, but look for the opportunity to learn to be stretched and grow. Fantastic. One more question, Marcella. The time it takes between you when you wake up and check your emails, how long? Yes. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. Is it, I mean, mo- it's really le- like- is it, is it less or more than 30 seconds? <laughs> 
I, I, same thing. I mean, first off, I go to the kitchen and I turn on the coffee machine. I get okay, all right. Press menu. That's my first order of the day: water and coffee, and then it's it's email. That's the emails. Well, well, actually, that's better than the last couple of answers, which was been they haven't been out of bed just yet, and they've turned on the email. So at least you're out of bed. You put the coffee machine on. You've got that's your priorities right. right. Marcella Kerberger, it's been absolutely delightful speaking to you. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, I love doing this, Jim. If you know, if anything that I said can inspire one person, right, or help one person think differently about the next step, I'm I'd be so happy. Thank you for the opportunity. It's going to do much more than that, Marcella. Thank you again. It's been fantastic speaking. Bye bye for now. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.